whenever you like, Mr. Chair. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the September um, Arbuck meeting. Uh, welcome, everyone, and back from summer and uh, a long holiday weekend. And uh, we have quorum, and we're ready to start. We do. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. First order of business is roll call for today's meeting. Members, when you hear your name, please indicate whether or not you are present. Chair Leal. Present. Leal, present member Camp is not here, absent. Member Vuthi. Present. Vuthi, present. Member Tang. Present. Tang, present. Member Holliber. Present. Holliber, present. Mr. Chair, we have a quorum. Thank the you. Next order of business is general public comment. This is an opportunity for members of the public who have uh, matters they wish to address to ARBOC for things that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of ARBOC but which are not on today's agenda. Speakers will have three minutes. Give me just a moment while I switch over to the viewer on my computer. And if you wish to speak for general public comment on today's agenda, please raise your hand from within Teams and we will get to you in order. I see that we have one speaker who briefly had their hand up. Speaker, please begin for three minutes if you have GPC. Please begin. Uh, there is a there is a caller with their hand up, and I'm waiting for them to address Arbach. I can hear their mic is open. Can you hear me now? Yes, please begin. Oh, okay. I'm having a problem with the computer. Uh, David Pilpel, um, uh, two things, one for the minutes, one not. Uh, for the minutes, um, I, as I mentioned Pilpel, just before. I'm pause your time. Mr. Pilpel, I'm going to pause your time. You know that the minutes is a later agenda item, so we can talk to that when we get to that item. This is for general public comment, matters that are I, not on today's agenda. I understood. One of the items you can include in the minutes, the other is not intended for the minutes. So what I'm saying is um, there was a problem with Teams. When I called in, it was displaying a phone number, and somehow some setting in Teams got around the no caller ID. So if uh, you can check the settings in Teams prior to the next meeting, uh, that would be great. That was the issue for the minutes, and not necessarily for the minutes, just wanted to report that today is my birthday and happy to spend some of it with all of you. And although I still don't drive, I have turned 55. Anyway, have a great meeting. Thanks. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has general public comment at this time? I think I see one additional hand. Speaker, please begin. Yeah, hey, this is Lars Camp. I'm attending as a member of the public. Looking forward to today's session. Thank you. Oh. Very good. Do we have anyone else who has general public comment for today's meeting? It appears we have no further general public comment. Mr. Chair, if you want to close public comment. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment is now closed. Uh, please call up the next agenda item. Uh, agenda item number three is an ARBOC audits update. Members of ARBOC will discuss ongoing and future audits to evaluate the performance of projects funded by revenue bonds. This item was continued from the August 1st, 2023 regular meeting. It is a discussion and possible action item, and we will be taking public comment as part of the proceedings. Mr. Chair. 
Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Let me start by really extending on behalf of ARBOC a big thank you to CSA, PUC, HKA, and YANO for all the work that went into audit number two. Audit number two is in the agenda packet, and uh, it is a substantial document. We'll uh, cover it as part of this agenda item today. So um, with that, uh, I would like to turn it over to CSA to guide us and the audit team to guide us through some of the highlights of this report. Thank you, Chair Liao. Um, Hunter Wong with CSA. Um, I do have some slides for presentation, so I will um, put that on the screen. It should also be in the agenda packet. Please let me know if that is showing up. We can see them. Great. Um, so thank you again to committee chair and the committee for um, patiently awaiting the issuance of our phase two report, audit report. Um, We're pleased to present um, the report and we'll be going through a summary of it here. Again, it's also in the packet. So um, hopefully there's some good, um, some good bedtime reading the past couple of days. Um, without further ado, let's hop right in. So just to remind everyone here, the audit objectives were to determine whether expenditures from our BOC funds were allowable under the bond resolutions or any applicable laws or regulations, that they were properly supported, that they were assigned and allocated to the correct projects within a bond series, and that they were subjected to appropriate cost control measures. Um, we are operating in a space where we are responding to um, our box legislatively mandated responsibilities regarding oversight of revenue bond funds um, as set forward in the administrative code. So our key findings and recommendations, the audit had two key findings. Uh, the first finding, PUC did not obtain signed impartiality and conflict of interest statements from all individuals participating in procurement solicitations. Um, combined with the control environment material weakness that involved former general manager Harlan Kelly um, and an entity to whom that contract was awarded, uh, the audit team questioned about $15.36 million um, due to that increased risk environment. So our recommendation, the associated recommendation here, uh, we asked the department or we recommend that the department require completion of impartiality and confidentiality statements from all individuals involved in procurements over $500,000. We will go into more details in the next slides as well. Um, the RBOC, so finding number two, um, RBOC is not quantifying the impact of, uh, he's, well, sorry, PUC is not quantifying the impact of SFPW overhead rates on total sewer engineering, direct labor and benefits to the RBOC. Sorry for that typo. Um, there is a, um, a, a decent amount of overhead that is charged by the department um, is paid to public works. Um, so the recommendation here, coordinate with public works to quantify, evaluate, and report on the effects of public works overhead rates to the RBOC. Um, for the detailed findings on the next slide, I will ask, well, never mind. I will go through the stages of our audits first. And then after that, I will ask uh, the audit team to come in and present the detailed findings. Um, again, as a reminder, I think this is helpful because it's been a little while. Um, our, our audit process follows um, strict yellow government auditing standards. In this case, in the first stage, we planned and surveyed. Uh, that involves doing an entrance meeting with ARBOC, um, with the department and with us to initiate that audit engagement. Um, the team performed a preliminary assessment on those revenue bonds um, and selected the bond uh, that would be tested. 
Uh, stage two, we move into field work. That's where the team developed an audit plan using information that they found during the survey stage. Um, based on that field work, it, you know, we obtain the audit team obtains evidence that's used to formulate any findings, conclusions, and then ultimately the recommendations that we make to ARBOC. Final stage uh, is reporting. We develop a preliminary list of observations and we discussed extensively with PUC. Um, the audit team periodically met with CSA as well to provide progress uh, updates and as well as to coordinate audit field work. And finally, um, the audit team drafted findings and recommendations in the draft report that um, is attached in the agenda packet. It is provided to us for review and issuance. Um, off to the side here, you'll see, uh, I think it's helpful to remind the committee about our reporting process. So we have a very strict reporting process that's designed to make sure that we are presenting things accurately, that we are capturing a complete picture. Um, and so that involves once the draft gets to CSA, that involves a review by the CSA project team, myself and Masanda. Um, we have our own quality assurance review. It then goes to our own executive management for review. It goes to the department after that. Uh, and, and keep in mind that during all of these reviews, there are comments that we are addressing and then sending back. Uh, after the department reviews, we have a, another set of quality assurance review and then a final management review before we are ready to issue. Um, so there are a lot of reviews, a lot of comments, um, and there are, you know, we're, we're doing all this to essentially make sure that we are saying everything accurately and that we are providing a complete picture to the reader. So for this slide and remaining slides, I am going to turn it over to the audit team, whether it's Paul or Eugene, you want to start presenting from here and I can uh, move slides for you. You want to walk through the selection? Sure. Uh, good morning, members of the RBOC. Eugene Yano from Yano Accountancy Corporation. Uh, thank you for having us. First slide you see here is a reminder of which uh, bonds we selected for uh, evaluation in phase two. Uh, if we look at phase one, we selected three large water bonds and three large wastewater bonds. In phase two, we started uh, concentrating more on wastewater because of the fact the uh, calendarization of the uh, wastewater uh, systems improvement program, or excuse me, sewer system improvement program was later than WSIP. And so WSIP was close to completion when we uh, finished phase one. And so we selected three bonds out of fate, uh, out of um, wastewater, and we also looked at uh, one of two uh, bonds out of power. Hunter? This is a summary of the bonds that have been issued. Um, the uh, par value of the bonds that were issued. Um, that's not necessarily how much cash became available because there are uh, premiums on bond issuance um, and there are issuance costs and uh, various other things. And um, some of the uh, proceeds actually went to the RBOC. You'll note we're trying to identify the exposure areas and the risk. I think previously most of the committee members on the walk through the risk assessment, but this is how it <clears throat> manifests itself. 
by showing you which bonds are covered by in which phase of our work. And I know there was a question as to why we um, did not look at non-green power bonds. Um, as of the beginning of phase two, uh, there were $7.1 million of non-green power bonds, uh, you know, uh, on a total uh, bond issuance of uh, more than $6 billion. So uh, that, that was the reason why we haven't touched uh, non-green power bonds. They, they've basically been insignificant um, to the entire uh, bonding, uh, bond issuance. Are there any questions about um, you know about this slide in terms of uh, this is our risk assessment and um, you know you can see which uh, bonds we selected in each phase. Personally, I don't. I mean, I think we've seen this slide before when we initially look at the uh, risk assessment at the beginning of phase two. I don't know if the committee has any any thoughts on this slide specifically. Okay. Next slide. This summarizes uh, uh, finding number one. What happened was is that um, SFPC did not sign, uh, obtain signed impartiality and conflict of interest statements from everyone involved in the uh, procurement of certain um, uh, consulting contracts. Um, we had selected this one specifically, and it turned out it was uh, upon uh, when we asked uh, PEC about it, they said it was actually um, a more commonplace occurrence when there were no, when say that they were going to give out three contracts and there, there were three or less bidders. Um, they would not obtain such the signed uh, impartiality and conflict of interest statements from everyone. Okay, uh, we saw that as a potential problem because, especially when it came to impartiality, um, in terms of those evaluating the uh, proposals to it to meet the minimum requirements as required by the RFP or RFQ. Um, we were missing that level of assurance. Um, and one reason why this contract was selected, um, it involved uh, an entity uh, where the one of the principals had a joint investment with the former general manager. And uh, the slide and the report talks about uh, a quick summary of when this, uh, when the former, uh, when the uh, president of the uh, consultant uh, sold her share of the investment to the to the former general manager, who was then uh, AGM of Infrastructure, and the time lapse between the sale of 
of the, her share of the property and the uh, issuance of the RFP, which is basically um, three weeks or so. And then ultimately, um, the general manager um, in July of 2023 uh, was convicted um, for unethical conduct by a federal jury. And a lot, and one of the um, finding, one of the things uh, brought out during the trial that uh, the general manager had the ability to influence city contracting. Now we will say it. We couldn't find a direct link between his conduct and this particular contract, but because it was the general manager involved, uh, the general manager is deemed to have a, quote, pervasive impact on the entire system of internal control, unquote. And, um, and that's the risk assessment, even, even without a specific nexus between what actions were brought, brought out in court and this particular contract. It, his actions are deemed to affect everything. Okay. And the 15.36 million that you see here is only the RBOC share. The total contract amount uh, for these two contracts was more than that. But since the RBOC is only only has oversight for amounts um, expended with bond proceeds. Uh, this is the amount that was the bond funded amount. Okay. Now the recommendation relates to a um, proposed um, policy being implemented by PUC. Um, and it's, it's PUC's a call as to whether to put a floor on uh, implementing the recommendation. And PUC put on a floor of $500,000 um, for, for uh, requiring um, such impartiality and conflict of interest statements from everyone involved. And uh, at the uh, AGM infrastructures, uh, he can make the calls as if on particular contracts, he sees risks, he can lower the floor on a particular contract. I have a question. But who sets the floor and the, 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 and the ceiling? Is it like the general counsel of PUC? That would, I don't, it's a, it, SFPUC is setting a policy, okay? Um, Officially, the, the general manager, right, ultimately is going to sign off on this policy as to what the floor is. There is no ceiling. Okay. And, and I think the AGM infrastructure asked for the ability, if he sees this particular risk, to lower the floor on any particular contract. Make sure you speak directly into this microphone, please. Yeah, it's Mark Blake. Uh, yeah, so the general counsel of the PUC, I mean, that the uh, would not set up more, it would be a policy decision for him. So that would not be a show. I see. So it's the AGM on infrastructure that essentially sets the floor, the, the floor and also enforces that floor. 
as a practical, yes, it would be within infrastructure uh, uh, procurement and infrastructure procurement who does ultimately report to the AGM of infrastructure. So sorry, coming back to this. Um, so there was no policy and there was no, uh, there were no impartiality statements being signed. Now fast forward, because this was two years ago, is there a policy and are those impartiality statements being signed today? Couple things. Um, one, there was, when we were doing our uh, fact finding on this, um, we had asked whether a policy, there is a, a city policy that, and, um, and I believe it became effective early 2020 in that time frame. So I could be off by even a year or so, but it was, you know, well after the procurement of this contract. And so there is a city policy on that now. When that became effective, is really unknown because um, we asked what's called the uh, Office of Contract Administration, which drafts the policies. They they draft them at the uh, standard contracts that are used by all city agencies. Um, as it turns out, no one with an OCA knew when this policy that was known to be in place in the 2020 timeframe how far that policy went back. So, um, and OCA is part of infrastructure. No, OCA is a, is a citywide agency that is responsible for and DCA Blake, maybe you can help me. <laughs> I believe that OCA provides citywide support for everyone on the on, on contract. Uh, so the Office of Contract Administration advises the city departments on compliance with city policies and contracts and the like. Thank you. Um, so for these two contracts, did you do sort of a further kind of deep dive I mean, was that part of your purview as well to make sure that they were expending these funds properly? And, and did you notice any, I don't know, significant change orders or any other things that would make these two particular contracts, any red flags or anything beyond the procurement? My answer is no, because the change orders that were involved uh, if we look at the contract, the original contract, all the change orders, it was basically for a specific time frame with allowable extensions up through seven years. And so all of the extensions which we looked at were within uh, allowed by the spe specifically allowed by the original contract. So we have that. And when we looked at um, expenditures, you never know, but uh, on something like this, but we didn't see anything untoward. My answer that it, it was these two entities that were the problem. And we did look at other expenditures within the uh, 
strange and as Eugene said nothing seemed problematic. But, but as part of your work did you look whether PUC got something in return for those 50 million dollars or, or? Oh the, yes they did. Oh they did. Okay. Yes. I mean in, in terms of were they getting um, services? Yes they, they, they were they were getting services okay. yes. So in the doc, in the report, um, I, I think somewhere in the report was referring to the um, the not to exceed amount for each of this contract was forty five hundred, which is um, and then combined is total is um, nine million dollar for both contracts. And now we see the total expenditure is about fifteen million. Um, are there documents like um, recording proper um, process? For uh, to allow total expenditure to go over the not to exceed amount. Yes, that was part of us looking at all the change orders because it was nine million dollars to begin with, uh -huh. and then you could have extensions and additions to that contract. Okay. And the fifteen million you said that's the only amount under ARBOC oversight. That's so that doesn't represent the total expenditure. What about the nine million? Is the nine million not to exceed represent the entire contract or only the portion under ARBOC oversight? The nine million uh, represents the entire contract. So, just to help us compare apples to apples, do you recall the total expenditure for both contracts compared to the nine million? I have the information. I I have it in my files because. We have it in the files because we had to go calculate it. Mm -hmm. um, we, if you want, we can get back to the uh, to the ARBOC with the total contract amount. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go back for a second to the Office of Contract Administration because it appears now that the city has a policy. Before there was no policy, now there is a policy. And uh, I read in the report the recommendation from the audit team that PUC should follow the COSO framework. And is this COSO framework tighter or looser than the city policy? In other words, you think that the city policy is enough or you would like PUC to go above and beyond what the OCA policy is and pursue the COSO framework? I think the OCA policy, as it currently stands, is enough because that is the implement. That's the city's implementation of the COSO framework. I see. In, in in this particular area. Thank you. I believe uh, Ms. Jones has a comment. Uh, good morning. Member, um, committee members, am I coming in okay? Yes. Loud and clear. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to add one additional um, comment to what Eugene said on the coastal framework. So at a citywide level, the city does adopt coastal, but in some of that communication to department's responsibilities, they will encourage um, departments to take any any additional aspects of coastal as they are designing their departmental controls. 
So there is opportunity for departments to build upon um, citywide standards that have the baseline adoption of the coastal framework. And that's something that we were trying to highlight with finding one. Like where is the baseline and what can we say at that point? And then if there is opportunity from a best practices perspective for departments to, to do anything more from, to help reduce any risk exposure to their operations. I just want to add that emphasis. Yeah, that, that, that's very helpful. So it, it sounds like the question really on a go forward basis is now we have the Office of Contract Administration has set a standard which is somewhat following COSO, maybe a little higher standard, lower standard, but by and large around the COSO framework. Now the question is really, is PUC following the standard and having the key employees sign these uh, impartiality statements? That's part of the follow-up. Um, the policy was actually being drafted during the middle of the audit. And so obviously since it was being drafted during the middle of the audit and being finalized during the middle of the audit, we couldn't test its implementation, yep. or at least not effectively because there might be only one or two and um, that would not be a, a representative sample of implementation. We'll, we'll have to see, there's, we'll have to see how many contracts were subject to this new uh, policy. Yep. Uh, makes sense. Thank you. Any, any, any comments, any thoughts on this? So it sounds like as a follow-up for, for ARBOC on a go-forward basis is really the question of how is PUC implementing this OCA standard and how is PUC following up with these um, impartiality statements. Does that sound about right? Yeah, certainly, yeah, I agree. I, I wonder if it's worth a, I think of a good analogy here. You know how when the, some, um, someone went through TSA security at the airport and had some like explosive device in their shoes and everyone has to take their shoes off. Right. I feel like there's a, there can be a, like an excessively retroactive focus on like this is what happened last time, so let's make sure that never happens again instead of thinking more broadly about like a you know, risk framework of places it could happen. Do you see what I mean? So I, I agree with you, yes, we, sh we should keep looking at that, but maybe there's a space to take a step back and think of like where else similar things could happen. Yeah. So. To, to, to really address this audit finding, I mean, that we, we have now in front of us, it sounds like at some point in the near future, we should probably have a meeting with the AGM of infrastructure and have that conversation mm -hmm. about on a go forward basis with the committee. I agree with that as a new agenda item for the future. Just a quick question. Um, so, with the policy at the time, when this contract was awarded 2012, was there any, I mean, I guess the, the MLA consulting should have submitted a conflict of interest statement? Uh, this is not for the, for the proposing entity. This is for um, people at the city who are evaluating okay. it. And when we talked about the finding, 
um, along with the question of whether the official policy existed, there were certain uh, predecessor documents to the current impartiality and conflict of interest statement. Um, it was called an acknowledgment, and that wording came straight from the wording of the COSO framework at the time. The COSO framework um, has changed and some of the definitions have changed since that time. But the then extant COSO had the term acknowledgement or to acknowledge, uh, periodically acknowledge your, uh, that you didn't have conflicts of interest. And the controller's office had a form uh, that, is, that is the predecessor to the impartiality and conflict of interest statement and asked people to, to acknowledge that yes, these are the things, you know, we're impartial, we have no conflicts of interest. We found that that document existed uh, before uh, CS224A was actually put out to bid. So did the MLOC, did they um, disclose the four, or, so, so do you think the issue then was that MLOC did not disclose this or the former AGM did not disclose that relationship? And should MLOC have been disqualified based on that long-time business relationship with the AGM? I would think that it would be a city responsibility to make sure that anyone who had a relationship with MLOC was not in the um, procurement evaluation. evaluation. <laughs> okay. Because the MLOC could have, you know, relationships with individuals, right? And they could be qualified, mm -hmm. right? And that shouldn't that shouldn't be a, the fact that. Uh, people at MLOC knew the former general manager should not be uh, a disqualifying factor. But what should happen is make sure that there's impartiality in evaluating the MLOC uh, proposal, and that's all on the city, right. and PUC, not on MLOC. Thank you. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Hun Hunter Wong raise his hand. Yeah, it's okay. Eugene covered it. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I understand um, uh, the city attorney is conducting confidential um, investigation. The PUC, according to the report, may also include one or two of these contracts. So regards to this, these couple contracts in question, would that be okay for ARBOC to request um, a report of findings from the city attorney's office upon completion of their investigation? <laughs> uh, uh, certainly, certainly you could, certainly you could make that inquiry, and then I can kind of uh, advise you as to how to make that inquiry formal, if that's what you choose to. But some of the, uh, some of the information may be attorney-client privilege, and so the scope of what you're requesting may not be able to be delivered. Got it. Thank you. Good conversation, good discussion. Um, unless there is anything else on finding number one, I think we can move on to the next slide, to the next uh, finding. 
Okay, uh, maybe a little bit of background here. Um, we went back to all of SFPW's annual reports. They issued their own annual report of, of their activities. And um, they stopped this a while back, but uh, the last two available um, SFPW annual reports that had that information, um, between 32 and 34% of SFPW's engineering activities were for SFPUC, which is more than, that's more, the, the, that's more than uh, it provides for any other agency, including itself, right? Because SFPW does have its own responsibilities, such as uh, the, the streets. And so if we look at SFPW's engineering uh, efforts, they spend, they spend more for SFPUC than, it, than they do for themselves. Um, and then we, we took a quick look at the um, overhead rates on total engineering labor and benefits. And we found that SFPW's rates were higher than uh, SFPUC's. Um, now, we're not here to criticize those rates because uh, having been an auditor for the city for a long time, uh, we know that SFPW is a, what we call a different type of entity, okay? Um, SFPUC is what we call a business type fund, okay? and SFPW is what's called the Special Revenue Fund. And what happens is that um, there are certain things that PUC can charge separately that SFPW cannot. And as F as F SFPW is going to, you know, be reimbursed for those things, they have to put them in their overhead rate. So uh, our objective, you know, the report quantifies what the total difference is, right? But we didn't have the time to to, to go into SFPW and 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 anal go deeply into their their rates. Okay, that that was outside the scope. But what we could f find was the fact that SFPW was charging a, a higher rate. And if we look at what's going to and really this is not so much for what has happened in the past, but what's gonna happen in the future, especially since SSIP is the big dollar spend over, you know, from here on out, right? And if that's gonna remain the case, then uh, it looks like SFPC will be continued to depend on SFPW for engineering work. Um, and having, I was actually working on the SFPUC audit the year that uh, what's now Wastewater Enterprise moved from what was then DPW to PUC. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a history that what's now Wastewater was part of uh, Public Works um, 27 or 28 years ago. So there's that history as and, and and why there are certain uh, 
departments that remain in, in, in public works. I see that we have uh, Hunter Wong with his hand up. Please go ahead. Yes, thanks, Committee Chair. Um, so just to just to add on a little bit and clarify a little bit Eugene's statement. So, um, you know, ultimately this finding, we found that there's a, a different a different overhead rate structure that public works utilizes uh, than what PUC utilizes. Um, and again, as just emphasizing what Eugene said, you know, ultimately it was out of scope for us to evaluate overhead rate structures as part of this expenditures audit. Um, but what we're highlighting here is that because of that difference, this is uh, an area of for worthy of further exploration by by the committee if that's if that's something that the committee wants. And thank you for for the explanation. But it sounds like this is primarily a topic of essentially reporting, breaking out this overhead so this overhead becomes obvious rather than being baked into larger numbers. Is that a good way to think of it? That's a good way to think of it, so that at least Arbonne has visibility on the differences of the overhead rates and can make its own decisions as the oversight body. But let me ask you this. Isn't the overhead part of a total bidding value for a contract that essentially, or, or, or let's call it, I don't really know the exact definition for a job that essentially the PUC hires SBW to do. In this case, not. It was charged separately. Well, what happens is that um, under both SFPUC, let me say everything I'm going to talk about is consistent, okay? Um, when it comes to SFPUC doing the en the engineering and art, you know, design and engineering for any project. Um, infrastructure makes the first uh, call is, can we do this uh, in-house within SFPUC uh, infrastructure? If the answer is yes, they do it. If the answer is no, um, under city policy, SFPUC policy, and a memorandum of understanding between uh, public utilities and public works, public works then has right of first refusal. Um, so then public works decides whether it wants to take on the work. Mm -hmm. If it says yes, then SF, then public PUC is required under the MOU to give the work to PW, to public works. But can PUC go out and let's say got the same job for a million versus DPW for 1.2 million? No, uh, under policy they cannot. Oh, they cannot, okay. Okay, and it's only after uh, Public Works says no do they go out and go for third parties. And I think, I think I saw the report that some of these are like multi-department projects, like for example, the Van Ness project, right? There's probably a water and a sewer component as well as street paving. Well, Van, yeah, Van Ness, there's a water sewer, there's a water, uh, okay. water sewer, uh, public works and MTA okay. component. And depending on whether a cat, whether their overhead wires involved, if there are overhead, overhead wires involved, 
MTA takes over the project for safety reasons. And if that's the case, right, if, and in some instances, uh, because of coordination reasons, uh, public works will control um, a project that is, uh, for which it charges PUC uh, its, its portions. We're not questioning any of that because for, there are good reasons why MTA has to control a project or the uh, instances where we saw DPW controlling the project, it was because there were a lot of coordination issues going on and if you had two separate contracts, um, the delay and disruption claims would just be asked, would just be through the roof. And so in, in those instances, it makes sense. And we're not going to question, um, you know, where DPW has to control the uh, project for that. Uh, it's only where the choices where SFPUC says, okay, we can't do it. We've got to give DPW uh, right of first refusal. It's only that component. I'm trying to come back to really the, the, the issue that we're trying to address here. Is it an issue of essentially breaking out that overhead rate? It's, it's, it's understanding uh, how much overhead PUC charges for its own people versus uh, how much DPW charges uh, for the engineers. Because if we look at the engineer, um, the, city the city has uh, one standard set of job codes. So, if that person is a, a a typical type of construction engineer, whether that person works at uh, PUC or works at DPW, if that person has the same job code and the same step, being you know time and service for that individual, the, the pay rate and the benefits would be exactly the same. The only difference would be the amount of overhead. But as I read here, the agency response, it says that essentially this, has, you know, PW's overhead rate information is already public. So that information is already out. So, but, but what you don't know is it's not, quant you, the rates are public, but the quantification of how much is being charged, how much is being bond funded, the dollar, the dollarization of those rates is. I see. The dollarization of those rates. Yes. But if we say about dollarization of rates for DPW, then it becomes also dollarization of rates for MTA and any other agency that PUC works with, right? That would be true. And um, you'll also want to split out um, those that are for contracts controlled by the other agency. Like for example, uh, MTA rarely charges to a PUC project unless it has to control the project. You know, for example, um, a couple of the uh, light rail lines on the streets, not a, you know, west of the tunnels. Yeah. Um, there was an MTA component, a DPW component, and a PUC component of that project. MTA had to control that project because of the uh, because of the catenary lines involved. So, to the extent that MTA had to control that project, 
um, that rate was was is is what it is. Is the FMTA? Yeah. Right. And so that part of it, um, you have much less, you know, over, oversight in terms of, yes, we know what it is, right? Versus, versus really having a choice in the matter. Thank you. Does the committee have any thoughts or questions on this finding? I would just say it does come up from time to time in our work with the budget analyst office when we review asset public works projects and we always see the overhead rate and it seems excessive and we ask them about that and they say, yeah, we, yes, we have a high overhead rate, but it, in the end it saves general fund dollars um, by being able to um, charge to various projects. But we haven't done any type of audit or any analysis as to what is behind numbers. I am curious, um, other than the sewer engineering services that um, Public Works provides to SAPUC, are there any other services they provide to SAPUC? For example, on the water side? There were some, but it was pretty small. Okay. Okay. Well, I would imagine the water main. And, uh, under the streets must be DPWPUC joint projects. It, it, yeah, when, when they're their joint projects, yes, it's going to happen. But uh, much more of it related to sewer than, than to water. Sure. Much more. Some questions about context, like why one agency might, you know, why is one an internal service fund and why a business type fund, but that's probably a lot of, I'm curious as to how this came into play and how flexible it is. I don't know if anyone knows that, but it's... Uh, really I, I can give you a quick answer. Uh, DPW's customers, 99% of them are city agencies versus someone like the three main, the four main, um, what we call the four main business funds, business entities of the city, uh, public utilities, MTA, the airport, and the port. They're basically uh, serving non-city agencies. You know, like us as individuals, right? We we ride Muni, we fly through SFO, right? Uh, we either take the ferry or, or shop at the port, right? And um, you know, city residents and businesses, uh, um, you know, I I use city water, right, in in my business, right. And so, if we're looking who the quote customers are, P, at DPW it's all within the city, yeah. and and in the four business funds, right, it's only a, a, a small portion. Well, so it sounds like. The world of overhead rates is its own galaxy with all sort of issues and complexities. Would the committee be interested in having someone you know, present um, overhead rates throughout the city as it relates specifically to BUC and PW, of course? Um, would that be useful and informative? Well, to find who the right person might be, but 
certainly would help us have a more educated view of what best practices or what's quote unquote normal. So as a follow-up to finding number two, we could have as an agenda item to have a speaker join RBOB and explain to us his overhead rates and how they um, impact our book. Would be okay? Thank you. All right. So we'll turn that back over to CSA for the next slide. Any questions from the committee? I know questions have been kind of asked as we've been going along on the findings, but just a space at, towards the end for any other comments or questions. Thank you. I think we have a couple of action items for both findings. Anything else that should be said hasn't been said yet? Just to pick up the conversation we had at the end for the first finding, right? We talked about a very specific element that we could follow up on, which is understanding, um, ensuring that PUC is indeed getting these certifications of uh, impartiality and um, in, in new allocation of contracts. But um, it, it sounds like it would be interesting to understand what effort is being made to understand uh, to understand links between folks who are being allocated contracts. Is it, maybe we could get some insight on how, uh, what kind of investigation happens before a contract is allocated to check connections other than just receiving a certification of impartiality. Maybe, I don't know if OCA does that kind of work. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Mark Blaine, PC. So one of the things that we could do certainly is to outline for you at least the um, city policies with regard, with, with regard to individuals ser ser serving on committees, that, that their statements of um, uh, non-interest, right? That, that all the policies that are implicated there, we could have somebody from OCA come in and speak to that. And then the follow-up questions are, how do you ensure that, right, that that's accurate? I mean, because I do think that there's factually, you know, what are city, all city employees obligated to do any time they're serving on a, you know, a, uh, a committee evaluating a uh, uh, vendors or an RFP. So there's a baseline yeah. that applies. So we can get that information for you or have somebody from OCA come in and do that. I think that would be helpful in terms of just understanding the, if you will, the control environment <laughs> for, uh, you know, for that process. And then we can, you can look at that contract and see if that contract uh, there were missteps right, in the execution of that contract. So that would be it. Thank you. I see we have uh, CSA has hands up. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Shirley. Um, once we once the committee is finished discussing um, the the uh, the audit, we just wanted to make sure we got the committee's approval to post this report on the controller's website. Yeah, thank you for that. We'll, uh, we'll uh, as we work through this agenda item, we'll, we'll have a motion to, to, to accept the, the, the report as presented, including uh, posting on the controller's website, uh, which I think is great because we want this to have as much public visibility as possible. Um, so, um, 
I haven't heard any other questions or comments on audit number two. And uh, now we can move on to the next one, which is audit number three. Um, can I ask one more question? You know, it's not specifically related to the findings, but the rest of the document? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so on um, page 21 of the report, so the auditor did point out that um, like the 15 Series A uh, post-insurance adjustments doesn't include the investment earnings as it's supposed to. So um, it doesn't talk about um, what a PUC's uh, respond to that or any recommendation how to address this kind of issue in the future? Any comments? I think it, it was more of a consistency. Okay. Um, and, it, and it's probably up to PUC to explain the consistency. Uh, one of the it, what will happen is if you start looking at the um, comparison of the water bonds and the power bonds and the wastewater bonds, you might see some inconsistency. Um, as f and DCA Blake is here, so I think I'd ask the question of you as to whether that would cause a bond, bond compliance issue, and the answer was that it would not. That's correct. And so, um, so we pointed out as a matter of consistency, but not as a matter of non-compliance, which is which is a bigger issue, right? Um, and so, it's so as you go forth, right? You, you might see some inconsistencies, and you might ask, why is it inconsistent? Well, as long as there's no non-compliance, it's kind of hard for us to make any other further comments about it. Sure. Okay. I appreciate your response, but I mean, from Arvox's perspective, you know, since all these funds are under Arvox oversight, and um, interest earnings on the proceeds are you know, should still be um, um, enrolling the total proceeds to be used on the projects. You know, I'm just um, um, thinking. Is there anything the committee should do to to enforce consistency on the reporting and also all funds um, available for future um, project spending purposes? Sounds like we'll, you'd like clarification on this on this topic. Um, yeah, maybe by then. Yeah, do, do we know perhaps today, or is it something that we need to follow up? We'll follow up on that. Okay. When we follow up on that, so so those are just for definition. I think it will be helpful for the minute. So this is how the accrued interest on bond proceeds are yeah. reported. Before, yes. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you for that. And one more question. Okay. So that's on the page 34 of the report. So um, in the table summarizing the professional services contracts awarded by enterprise and project, like the second to the last, um, it's, um, it's the planning and engineering services. Um, there is only one bid was um, evaluated, and uh, I assume the same 
the same um, proposer got awarded. So similar to the last contract we just talked about, so two evaluated and both were awarded. So I'm just curious, are there any policies um, as a PUC, uh, not, maybe not just SVU, maybe for city and county of San Francisco, talking about in what circumstances um, if you only receive one proposal, you, um, what the criteria has to be met, so um, this particular contract will be awarded instead of uh, rebetting this entire um, RFP. That's a great question, and I think when we'll have uh, the AGM of infrastructure present, that will be probably the right person. Okay, to sure. To, to address it too. Um, I, I'm just looking at a clock here. Uh, do we have any more questions on this? Uh, Member Wuthi and Tang, or we're ready to move to the next. Uh, Sorry, one question. Um, I noticed in these you know, recommendations and responses, there were a couple of recommendations that PUC staff did not agree with. Um, so what's, where do we go from here on those? <laughs> um, hi, this is Irella Blackwood. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yep, we can, loud and clear. Okay, yes, so I apologize if you cannot see me on this browser. But um, I, I really Blackwood as a PUC audit director, and um, yes, we did have some non-concurrence with uh, um, the majority of the recommendations in this report. My understanding is the next step from here is that uh, should it be called, it will be part of the continuous follow-up process for CSA, and they can speak to that. And um, that's a six to 12 month, 18 month interval. And if it does not, um, if there, if it comes to a point where we have to discuss it publicly, that could be an option. But as for now, uh, PUC has given P uh, CSA and its contractor all of the uh, rationales for why we don't have full concurrence. So that's my understanding of the next steps from here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the discussion, and, and once again, thank you for this uh, this audit report. I just learned uh, this morning from Mr. Yano that uh, about 2,000 person hours go into producing one of these reports, so it is a lot of work and certainly very much appreciated and, uh, and very important. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll now move over to the next slides, and those are for an update on uh, audit number three. Oh, I see that. Sorry about that. Um, and we have CSA, Masanda Jones. Please go ahead. Thank you, committee chair. Um, I just wanted to, as far as the question on the recommendations, make sure that ARBAC understands the follow-up process that City Services Auditor leads. Um, our process when we're doing follow-up to the recommendations and department's response, our focus is on open recommendations. And of course, where a department is stating they concur, typically that concurrence comes with some description of how they're going to implement corrective action. 
where a department's response is does not concur or partially concur. That, those two responses, city services auditor, in essence, doesn't necessarily have something to follow up on. Um, the department is able to acknowledge in their response, that's a part of the report, you know, why they don't recur, concur, if there are some other actions that they are taking or not. But for CSA, there isn't any additional follow-up. So I just want to um, clarify that as well as invite ARBOC if there, ARBOC plans to have some additional meetings to understand processes that PUC has in place that involves ARBOC's oversight role. This might be another area as for being, being able to ask PUC, you know, in their response to phase two report, you know, what, what happens next? What can we do, et cetera, et cetera. But we just want to acknowledge there wouldn't be any additional follow-up that CSA would have where PUC stated does not concur or partially um, concur, would have some minor follow-up. But if I'm looking at the reports, we are in the bucket of do not concur. Um, and so partially concur would be the one that we would do some follow-up on. Just want to clarify that. Thank you for that. Helpful. Uh, great. So, update on uh, audit number three. Yes, thanks, uh, Committee Chair. Uh, Hunter Wong again with City Services Auditor. Um, I'll go through the first couple. I'll go through the first slide very quickly because this is exactly the same slide as um, what we already presented, basically just showing what our audit objectives are. They have not changed for this third phase. Um, and I'll turn it over to uh, Eugene or Paul or Tasha. I do believe we shared this with the committee in a prior meeting where we kind of had the initial discussion. Um, we're basically showing those bonds that we are recommending as part of the selection process. Uh, I don't want to waste everyone's time going through it again unless you really want us to do that. I mean, it's a it's a risk assessment. We walked you through the risk assessment in the prior meeting, and now this is the finalized grouping of uh, bonds that we intend to move forward with with the committee's approval. Uh, no, thank you for this. I mean, with, unless there has been a change, uh, I think we already reviewed this in June and uh, concurred with your um, recommendation at that time. I believe that's correct. We had one open element, which we, I think, also reported back in a prior meeting on the phase three. But again, here's the here's the overview of what we've covered in each of the phases and um, the rationale of some of the same things we've talked about. We're trying to get a sampling that's robust as well as covers many of the areas and we're trying to do it in an efficient and collaborative manner with CSA. Thank you. I'm going to move to the last one, Hunter. I think that's okay. So that that we can cover very quickly and I, I hope it's just an update. We have had a number of meetings on the audit already. You know, the planning is well underway and again we're we're in the process with CSA trying to schedule everything. Uh, given the robust audit schedule they undertake, um, we're doing our best to you know, work with the PUC. And again, I do want to you know, publicly thank them for their cooperation and responsiveness 
Uh, it's been a very encouraging to work with the team and to get kind of the answers to the questions and the inquiries. Uh, thank you for that update. Uh, has the field work already started for this audit? No, it has not. We wanted to get um, get this audit out of the way. Um, certain planning things have occurred, and um, and even though uh, we have not officially made a, a lot of our uh, information requests. Um, because of my other work for, for PUC, I actually have a lot of the information and have started that uh, data accumulation and, and, and had to do some high-level analysis in order to get to where we are now. Hey, can you share with us at a very high level just the, 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 the timelines between field work and what do you expect this, this report to look like, similar to phase number two? About a year from today, or hopefully much uh, sooner than that, because if I remember correctly, we had finished the draft before yeah, Christmas. That's right. And um, <laughs> getting from the draft to where we are today, uh, I think you can see because there was not complete concurrence like there was in in phase one. Um, there were a lot of things that happened, and I think, um, and in one of the responses, you know, one of them was, well, we didn't talk about coastal until the second draft, right? Well, what had happened is we had first talked about the policy, right, which was the implementation of COSO, right? And when, there was, when we were getting pushback on the fact you, you can't hit us for a policy that didn't exist. Um, you know, and our contention was no one knew when it existed. PUC was saying, well, it didn't exist. And it says, I said, that's a fight we'll never win. It says, you know, what is the underpinnings of the policy itself? And that's really the COSO. So we really had to go back to the COSO as, as our... Uh, as our basis, since there was so much pushback on the policy. So, I mean, things like that you know, mm -hmm. took time. Yeah. Thank you. I see that CSA has the hands up. Thank you, Committee Chair. Um, to try to give a, a rough timeline, couple of slides back in the presentation, Hunter did share our general um, um, our approach to our audit. And though we didn't speak to the timelines, um, it's very important for us to have those initial meetings. So what we've planned for for phase three is to start communicating with PUC to get what we call our entrance meeting scheduled. Um, hopefully we're able to actually have it scheduled um, and held in September. And that meeting is most critical because it's there where the audit team, CSA, HKA, and Yano will come with our timeline, um, estimated budget, general timing of the key phases of the audit. So the planning survey phase, fieldwork phase, and reporting phase. Some of what Eugene just spoke about is really what's happening in the 
back and forth iterative review process that happens in a reporting phase. We typically target the phases of an audit of this type um, that's very narrowly focused a couple of months, three to six months. Um, I know Paul has given general timeframes of the bond audits, but the timing of the audit usually starts to extend in either fieldwork phase or reporting. So we're trying to address those timing constraints or needs given that PUC, <clears throat> excuse me, most of PUC's contact, um, we recognize our procurement, infrastructure people, fiscal people, and it's audit season for PUC in the city. And we recognize that. And when I say audit season, not so much our um, audits that aren't, the audits that are not cyclical. Excuse me, that was backwards. For the city, we have cyclical audits, the annual um, comprehensive financial audit, the annual single audit. PUC has other annual audits. And so we recognize that this timing around September, October, November, December is really heavy for PUC. And we just want to make sure we have the right space for the entrance meeting and talk about the planned audit approach and then hear from PUC what's reasonable and then adjust. So by the time we come before ARBOC again for the October meeting, we're hoping to, at that meeting, be able to have um, some maybe quarterly or monthly markers for the phase three audit. But as we speak to you today, we haven't um, defined that timeline just yet. Thank you for clarification. Very, very helpful. Um, does the committee have any thoughts or comments on audit number three? No, I think. All right, very good. So I, I think at this point, this agenda item, we're coming to the end of it. Uh, in terms of next steps, uh, we we'll, may have a motion to accept audit the audit number two report and the uh, publishing of this report on the controller's uh, website. Please. So moved. Second. Thank you. I will record that in the book. We'll deal with that motion after we take a public comment on the agenda item. Thank you. Would you like to do that now, Mr. Chair? Yes, please. Members of the public who wish to address ARBOC on the topics reviewed during the audit update, agenda item number three, you'll enjoy three minutes. I see that we have one speaker who's raised their hand. When you're ready, please begin. Can you hear me now? Yes, please begin. Great. David Pilfell having some technical issues. There was a lot of ground covered, so let me uh, move quickly. Um, on the MOU that was referenced, I don't believe I've seen the MOU between uh, PUC and uh, DPW uh, as to contracts. It might be uh, interesting to uh, bring that back uh, to our block uh, at the next or a, a future meeting so we can all uh, see what the particulars are. I was not aware of this right of first refusal uh, that, or that uh, MTA takes over when overhead wires are involved, etc. Uh, that's all very um, interesting stuff. Um, as to the overhead, rates, uh, whether it's at this committee uh, or elsewhere, and I would look to um, DCA Mark Blake as to whether uh, capital planning or um, uh, the other bond oversight committees, including MTA and CGOBA, would um, be other good places to have that. I think it would be useful for somebody, whether it's this audit team or 
the DLA or someone uh, to review the various uh, overhead rates uh, for the big six uh, departments, um, either by division, project, phase, whatever. It's uh, interesting to me that the overhead rates uh, vary uh, that much, and I believe there was uh, prior uh, work by um, Harvey Rose and um, uh, on the indirect uh, cost rates for um, federal projects under the, what is it, the I-87 uh, indirect cost allocation methodology, but I don't know um, that that, uh, I don't know that that work has been updated in a while, and I don't know that it spoke to overhead rates for these kinds of projects. Um, I do think that overhead rates should be tracked by project and not uh, by entity that was uh, in here somewhere. And finally, as to phase three, I don't object strongly to the uh, project selection, but I do believe uh, that there should be uh, more concern for uh, proportionality uh, when um, uh, projects are selected for um, audit. Those are my thoughts on phase two and phase three. Thank you very much for all the work behind this, and I'm finally intrigued by the uh, disputes between uh, PUC and the uh, audit team as to the um, certain recommendations. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else connected remotely or even here in the room who wishes to provide public comment on agenda item number three? Seeing none, Mr. Chair, it appears we've reached the end of public comment for this item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment is now closed. And before we took public comment, Mr. Chair, I recorded a motion in my book offered by Member Holliber and seconded by Member Tang to accept and approve the Phase 2 audit report as well as authorize its publication on the controller's website. We'll, of course, be publishing it on the RBOC website as well. Uh, and if you'd like, Mr. Chair, I can call roll on that motion. Uh, please go ahead. On that motion, uh, Member Camp is absent. Member Vuthi? Aye. Vuthi, aye. Member Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. Member Holliber? Aye. Holliber, aye. Chair Liao? Aye. Now, aye. Mr. Chair, there are, uh, is no opposition. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, the motion passes. And uh, please call up the next agenda item. Agenda item number four is planning for future audits. Members of RBOC will discuss planning for future audits to evaluate the performance of projects funded by revenue bonds. This is also a discussion and possible action item, and we'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. I'd like to turn it over to Member Tang and Member Boosie for an update. So, um, back in June, Miss um, Wenny Wu from CSA presented to RBOC um, an initial draft of the RFP for a potential infrastructure evaluation. So, at that time, the committee provided um, uh, some feedback and asked uh, Member Ruthie and me to work directly with Winnie um, and update the draft RFP based on the feedback received. So today we are presenting this updated draft um, for the committee to provide further comments or consider approving for the next steps. So compared to the version you saw in June, um, we have clarified the scope of work and um, separated into two phases. So in phase one, uh, we expect um, the contractor to conduct a risk assessment to determine the appropriate um, sampling um, 
methodology to select infrastructure for review, and then based on the risk assessment result, um, the contractor will also um, develop an engagement work plan on its approach to measure the infrastructure performance and SFP using maintenance um, compliance. In phase two, we would like the contractor to perform the initial evaluation um, to, to determine these couple questions that we have talked about, um, you know, that's the main, that's the main question for this. And uh, the main purpose of the initial evaluations are so we want to consider it as a test evaluation to find out like how helpful this um, uh, potential evaluation can be to the committee or as a PUC staff. Um, although we are looking for like committee members um, feedback on the entire RFP, um, we are specifically interested in your your thoughts on the approach to this unique contract. It's quite unique based on the feedback from CSA and also uh, when we asked um, other agencies about any problem, none of, none of them have done this, so and that's why this contract is unique. Um, so we are interested in your, your particular feedback on the not to exceed amount on page two. So the anticipated contract not to exceed amount uh, will cover both the risk assessment and the initial evaluation, and then depending on our determination um, how helpful the initial evaluation to us and the SPUC uh, staff, um, our BOG may expand the scope of work um, to evaluate additional infrastructures based on the risk assessment. So, Member Lucy, do you have anything else, anything else to add here? No, maybe just to um, remind folks a little bit about what this looks like. Last time, um, it was a much larger not to exceed amount. We had um, essentially separated the evaluation or had the, the evaluation phase be a, a much larger phase two. And here we've essentially constricted it, if you will, to Member Tang's point to um, phase one of what this looked like before and a, a really like a test evaluation to allow us to evaluate if this whole process was helpful in our work. Um, we've also made some changes to the scoring um, to reflect what we thought was a, a better weighting of what's important in the, in the submissions that we receive um, and gotten more clarity on how the evaluation happens. Which, I don't know if it's worth touching on that, but it seems like it's changed um, over the last few years, just wanted to make clear for folks who didn't know, it was a surprise to me that um, certainly none of ARBOC can be on any of the selection panels or the, the single selection panel, is that right, Winnie, that will evaluate both the written and um, the oral component um, for the subset of bidders, um, though I think we can suggest folks who could be considered for the panel, but none of us can be on the panel. Just FYI, when we um, selected the contractor for the ongoing audit, um, our, so our board member, one of the our board member, was sitting on the, you know, participated as a panelist, but we can no longer do that. Which one? Sorry, for the for the ongoing. Oh, for um, this one. Yes. Oh, this one. So the Winnie did say we're, we we can um, sit in, but we can't provide any input. So we can observe, but we can't opine. Correct. Good morning, uh, our vote members. This is Winnie Wu, CSA. Um, so, like member of YouTube was saying, um, the ARBOT members can sit in on the oral interviews, but they cannot provide any input or feedback in terms of who to select. 
Um, the main reason being because the members are involved in the development of this RFP. Um, we don't want any perception that there's any conflict of interest in the solicitation process. And when, one, uh, one of the items that um, we would like input is, is to confirm if Arbot would like the oral interviews because that, that portion is optional. Um, I think during the last Arbot member uh, meeting, the members had expressed interest, um, but I just wanted to confirm that because uh, we've confirmed that Arbot members can not uh, provide any inputs on the oral interviews and if you still want to proceed with the oral interviews and include that as a um, evaluation criteria. Well, thank you, uh, the CSA and uh, Member Tang and Member Guthi for, for driving this. I think there's really good work that has been done here that has been done over the past year plus that essentially led us to what we have today. And I think this could really lead to some really interesting um, uh, insights on both performance and, uh, and maintenance. I mean, as I think of this, really a question for you is, at, at, at a, initially at a high level, we really need to map and understand, is there a standard for maintenance and performance that is already there somewhere, right? And then the next question becomes, okay, this is what the standard is, or if there isn't one, then there's a different conversation. And then the question is, is the standard sufficient and best practice? And once we establish that, then is, let's go find out how the actual maintenance and performance of a specific project looks like, right? So you pick essentially one or maybe two, again, in, in, in the spirit of not in the ocean, right? So picking one or two construction sites uh, or projects that have been completed and have been around for a few years and really see how they're performing. Is, is that the way you're thinking about with this? Totally. Yeah. So that's why, um, so um, the other reason we want to do the test evaluation and also have those mapping included in the um, initial risk assessment and hopefully the, the contractor can also help us identify all these um, standards. And then um, after couple evaluations, maybe at some point, if, uh, um, if that makes sense to the committee, we can even consider um, having CSA internal audit team to take over this ongoing evaluation instead of hiring someone outside. So it just flexibility in the future after we identify the standards. So I had a thought that came to me today. I didn't really think about this before, but do we know today what the standards are at PUC and what the work is being done for specific projects? I don't, I don't think so. Based on our conversation with CSA and also some peer agencies, we are not aware of any national standards. Um, but what about PUC specific standards? Do we know if there are some or? I'm not aware we, of we that. Know. I don't, I've never received any response on that, yeah. Okay. So that's it. let me take that as, as something that we may want to learn more about. Uh, Member Holber, any, any reflections on this? Uh, no, I mean, this looks like a good approach. Um, I think 
you know, there was a question about whether the oral interview should be included or not. I think from, you know, from what I've seen, it's pretty common in terms of um, city um, contracting um, procurement to include the oral interviews. Um, so I would recommend to keep that in. Other than that, I think this is a, a lot of work has gone into this and uh, glad to see it. Yeah, thanks to give big thanks to uh, Miss Wenny Wu, who has made a great effort and hard work on this uh, draft RFP. Thank you, Wenny. Thank you. So, uh, Member Tang, where do we go from here? Um, I think so. If um, if our box members are okay with this current version, I, I believe the next step will be for CSA to send those drafts to like um, attorneys uh, for attorneys for review. Isn't that correct, Winnie? Can you clarify correct. the process? Yes. Um, so what, once we uh, receive the approval from Arbot, we'll proceed the next steps, which was uh, advertising this RFP. Um, we'll be, but before we do the advertising, there are multiple uh, approvals that we do need to obtain first, which includes uh, OCA, the Office of Contract Administration, legal review, and then also our internal uh, central contract. So uh, once we uh, move forward and have all those various divisions and departments review it, then once that's ready, we can come back to you and let you, our bot know that this is the final version because after legal review, they might have some comments and say, you know, uh, what can we, can we and do we need to change certain things? Um, so once we have all of those approval, I can come back with it and then share the final version with ARBOC before we release it. Does that sound like a plan? Thank you. Uh, do you need anything specific from ARBOC at this stage? Anything formal or you can proceed as, as suggested by uh, Member Tang? Um, if I can just get a formal approval, if everybody's okay with this RSP. So if I may, Mr. Chair, this sounds like there would be a request to have a motion to approve the draft RFP and authorize CSA to begin the RFP process, and then they can run with it. Okay. Member Hulbert? Sounds like everyone is... Uh, in agreement. Um, any other discussion topics on this or we're ready for a motion? No more? All right. Well, may I have a motion and a second, please, to take the draft to the next step? It's not an approval of the actual RFP, but just to move the process along. So second. We can take that motion after public comment on agenda item number four. If you'd like to hear that now, Mr. Chair. Uh, yes, please. If you have public comment on agenda item number four, this discussion of planning for future audits, please raise your hand inside Teams client. We will have three minutes to hear your comments. Please begin now. Uh, can you hear me now? We hear you a lot. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, David Bilko. Uh So on this item, uh, I certainly appreciate all the uh, work that um, has been uh, done on this. It seems like we've been talking about it for a few years. Um, I'm not sure that at this time the scope 
at needs the between 300 and 550,000. This sounds like um, it may not require that much. I certainly um, agree that any proposal that's over 550,000 um, will be uh, ignored, but I'm just not sure that it requires that much. This seems to me like it's the it's somewhere in the you know 50 to 200 thousand dollar range for this particular scope. But hey, what do I know? Um, I'm also not clear on who will finally approve the contractor selection if it's this committee um, or uh, CSA. I went back and looked at the uh, code uh, the way I read it: 5A point. 31C6 um, allows this committee to commission independent review and evaluation of the disbursement and expenditure of the proceeds of revenue bonds by accessing any funds set aside, blah, 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 to retain outside auditors, inspectors, and necessary experts to conduct such independent review. So it seems to me like that would be um, ultimately an action of this committee to select uh, the contractor if that is not correct. If someone can clarify that, um, I'd be interested. I understand that CSA is running the um, uh, selection process, but I just wanted to be clear on who's ultimately making the choice as to the uh, contractor. Um, I very much look forward uh, to the work and the reportable, the reports and the deliverables and further uh, discussion. Um, and again, uh, thank member uh, Tang for the idea, which now seems <laughs> so long ago, but still a good idea. Um, those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this agenda item number four related to future audits? Mr. Chair, it appears we have no further comments. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, roll call on that motion, please. Just to review, the motion was offered by Member Vuthi and seconded by Member Holliber. This is to authorize CSA to begin the RFP process. On that motion, Member Camp is absent. Member Vuthi? Aye. Vuthi, aye. Member Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. Member Holliber? Aye. Holliber, aye. Chair Leal? Aye. Leal, aye. Mr. Chair, there are four ayes, no opposition. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. The uh, motion passes. And next agenda item, please. Agenda item. Number five is Arbok City Services Auditor Services Billings Invoice for Fiscal Year 2022-2023. Members of Arbok will discuss the billings invoice and consider it for approval. It is a discussion and possible action item and will be taking public comment as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. The bill Clerk. The in your uh, oh. packet. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, any comments or questions on this bill or we're ready to approve it? Hearing no comments, I'll move to approve as presented the bill, uh, essentially this, this this invoice for the overall audit number two, and that includes the audit team as well as uh, CSA's uh, work. Second. The motion will be in order after we take public comment on agenda item number five. Do we have anyone who has public comment on this agenda item number five related to this 2022-2023 bill? We'll delay for a moment so you can raise your hand inside teams if you wish to speak on this item. Mr. Chair, it appears we have no public comment. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is closed. And roll call on the motion, please. The motion is to approve the invoice as presented. It was offered by Member 
I'm sorry, offered by Chair Liao and seconded by Member Tang on that motion. Member Vuthi. Aye. Vuthi, aye. Member Tang. Aye. Tang, aye. Member Holliber. Aye. Holliber, aye. Chair Liao. Aye. Liao, aye. Mr. Chair, there is no opposition once again. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. The um, bill is uh, now approved, and uh, please call the next um, agenda item. Agenda item number six is consideration of the minutes for the August 1st, 2023 regular meeting of ARBOC. It is a discussion and possible action item and will be taking public comment as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, does the committee have any comments on the minutes? Not may I have a motion and a second please. Move approval. Thank you. We're now ready for public comment. If you have public comment on the form of the minutes, please offer your comments now. I see that we have one speaker who's raised their hand. Uh, great, David Pilpel. Um on the minutes on page. One, um, this was not a remote meeting on August 1st. It was in person. I would substitute um, 525 Golden Gate with the appropriate uh, room number uh, for the uh, remote uh, meeting. Uh, maybe indicate that uh, remote public comment was also allowed. Um, I would personally, I would exclude the mission statement from the minutes. I think it's fine on the agenda. I don't think it's necessary uh, or useful in the uh, minutes. Um, that was page one. On page two, uh, at the bottom, the big public comment uh, paragraph, there's one word missing. Uh, it's the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee. So if you could just add obligation after general, that would uh, fix it. Uh, nothing on page three and on page four adjournment, there being no further business, the meeting, I would say, was adjourned at 10.03 a.m. Uh, those are my non-substantive edits. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your comments on the form of the minutes. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on the form of the minutes at this time? Mr. Chair, it appears we have no further comments on the minutes. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed, and uh, next item. Uh, I will make a few uh, clerical changes as recommended by the caller, Mr. Chair. That will be to clarify that this re uh, regular meeting was held in person at the appropriate location. Thank you for the catch on that. And also the correction related to the Citizens General Bond uh, Obligation Committee, thank you. And with those clerical corrections, I present the minutes to you, and uh, we should take a roll call on the motion that was offered by Member Holliber and seconded by Member Tang to approve those minutes. On, um, yes. I think the second by Member Oh, thank you for that. I think we had this discussion last time, but the meeting adjourned is grammatically correct. Fine. Yeah. We're not going to change that bit. <laughs> So on that motion offered by Member Holliber, seconded by Member Vuthi, to approve as now corrected. Member Vuthi. Aye. Vuthi, aye. Member Tang. Aye. Tang, aye. Member Holliber. Aye. Chair Liao. Aye. Liao, aye. Mr. Chair, there are four ayes. Once again, noting that Member Camp is still absent. Thank you, Mr. Furt. Uh, next item, please. The next item is announcements, qu comments, questions, and future agenda items. 
is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. I want to note that I am recording on your agenda that ARBOC may meet on October 10th, November 14th, and December 12th to round out the rest of 2023, and we are tracking several future agenda topics. That's right. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, just you know, from a quorum perspective, um, do the dates that we have here on the agenda, do they still work for uh, the committee? Any, any unexpected travel issues or any rescheduling needed? Not at this time, no. Okay, very good. Thank you. Any comments, any suggestions, any, any thoughts that you'd like to share at this point? Hearing none, thank you. And again, thank you to, um, oh, we have a comment here. I just wanted to know, uh, note that Catherine Sega will be taking over for me oh. in terms of providing uh, counsel. She's a new uh, deputy city attorney, and so she'll join the legal team for the PUC. And so I'll be sunsetting before you guys sunset. <laughs> and uh, she'll be assuming well, welcome, and thank you. Thank you. Very nice thank to meet you. you. Thank you. And the meeting is now adjourned. Oh, Mr. Chair. Yes. We do have to take oh, public yes. comment on future Apologies. agenda items. Yes. If you have public comment on this announcement, comments, questions, and future agenda items discussion, now please raise your hand and we will hear from you for three minutes or fewer. And Mr. Chair, it appears that we have no callers in the queue for this agenda item. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. And the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.